All right. Welcome back, everyone. Today we've got uh, Mark and Nate from Bancor. Haven't uh, been catching up with these two recently and um, had a little bit of a brief demo and thought it was very, very important to bring them both on and chat about what, they, what they're up to at the minute. So, gents, how are you doing? Very well. Thank you so much for having us. Good on my end. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, bef before we get to it and everything, just to... Just let's just show a brief kind of high level of both your roles at, at Bancor and kind of what you're kind of working on day to day, just to give people a bit of a flavor of kind of where you both uh, are coming from. Maybe Mark, we can start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Mark Richardson. I'm the uh, current project lead at, at Bancor. Um, in a previous life, I was an organic synthetic chemist. Um, I switched to uh, full-time uh, blockchain research in 2021. Um, I've been working for Bancor that entire period. Um, and my main role, I suppose, is um, to define sort of the, the high level scope of what the project is doing um, and to uh, provide the, the fundamental mathematics um, that underpins um, exactly how the products are working. So, uh, you know, at, at some level, I'm still a researcher. Obviously, I have a lot more responsibility now with like difficult decisions and, and other things affecting the direction of the project. Um, but I still consider myself a, a scientist at, um, at you know the, the most basis level. It's just that the substrate that I'm working with now is um, you know instead of small molecules, it's um, complex financial systems. Nice. What about yourself, Ned? Yeah, um, I've been with the project since uh, late 2017 early 2018. Uh, I work mostly on sort of user education uh, and, you know, um, helping the market understand uh, exactly what we're building and how it works and how to use it um, and, you know, driving user growth in, in the protocol and, and its products. Nice. So if, <laughs> what I'm about to say might feel like people have been, in, um, if they're not kind of, Crypto or DeFi native, can 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 one of you give us a high level of of what Bancor was, is, and is kind of going to be with with carbon? Um, maybe Nate, we can start with you and then move on to Mark. I know sometimes, kind of the way people get across points coming from different kind of areas of of the project can uh, come sometimes get delivered differently. So I'd love to kind of hear that from from Nate, and and then we'll move on to Mark. Yeah, uh, and it's simplest. Simplest way to describe it is we are uh, very focused on um, on-chain trading and liquidity. Uh, Bancor was uh, first to market and the inventor of the automated market maker in 2017. Since then, we've seen you know tons of innovation in in the AMM and on-chain liquidity space. Uh, a lot of catalysts more recently for driving you know traders and um, you know, market makers and liquidity providers on chain, especially in sort of the post uh, STX world, uh, FTX world. So, um, you know, that, that's at a high level is really ensuring that users um, can trade on chain as easily as possible and also um, can, you know, have as much control and as much complexity and sophistication in their trading and liquidity strategies uh, as they want. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that users tend to do in uh, centralized exchanges that they have not been able to do until now um, on decentralized exchanges. And I think we're very much focused on uh, in order for DeFi and on-chain liquidity and DEXs to 
actually be true challengers to um, centralized exchanges. I think the functionality really needs to catch up. Uh, AMMs uh, and you know uh, on-chain order books can need to continue to evolve. Um, and so that's really what we're, we're pushing forward with. Nice. Mark, I don't know if yeah. there's anything you want to kind of add, add on that. Yeah, I mean, just a slightly different perspective. So in terms of like where Bancor began and um, what the objectives of the project were in, in 2017, I think it is really worth acknowledging that the, the space has really come a very, very long way in a very short period of time. The, uh, the specific problems that we faced in 2017 don't really have a lot in common with the problems that we're facing now. And in a way, I think AMM technology um, should be sunset. The, um, the original um, you know, design that Bangkok came up with, with the original bonding curves, was that there is a need to facilitate uh, like token to token uh, price discovery, right? And be able to faci facilitate exchange. And the invention there, um, which is still largely, you know, it, which, you know, most of the AMMs that exist today still have a lot of the hallmarks of that early technology. And it's just, it's strange because the intended users, the actual liquidity providers that we were targeting with that technology wasn't end users, right? It wasn't individuals on blockchains, but it was whole token projects, right? Token founders and things. And it was customary at the time um, that if you are creating a new token contract, that uh, a fairly significant proportion of those tokens uh, might be dedicated forever to liquidity models. Um, and it wasn't necessarily um, important, therefore, that the AMM be a financially performant vehicle because it wasn't for investment purposes. Um, it was really a necessity, right, for, um, for cryptocurrencies to operate in a world where market makers refuse to touch them. Um, mm -hmm. That's no longer the case, right? Like e even in the, um, even in the, the, uh, the current uh, like turbulence that we're, we're seeing now, especially with the US, um, really centralized exchanges are still servicing most cryptocurrencies pretty well. Um, there's always going to be a, a long tail component. And I, I think the AMMs will continue to service those, those tokens. Um, but the people that are participating in DeFi have a very different motivation when they're thinking about liquidity, right? And, and liquidity contribution. It's much more selfishly motivated. And that's fine. Um, and I, I think that this is the direction that not just our project, but all projects need to head in is offering them something that is a little bit more expressive, um, a lot less prescriptive, um, and that gives people the, the flexibility to make choices in how their, um, how their liquidity is used and specifically what types of trading behavior they would like to participate in. And this is something that AMMs don't do very well from the maker side. So if you're providing liquidity to an AMM, the AMM really makes all of the decisions on your behalf, right? You are subscribing to a very specific trading profile. And most people feel like they are the victim of that trading profile rather than uh, being an active agent or having made a decision to trade that way, um, which is neither here nor there. You could always make the argument that people understand how AMMs work and you know their uh, consent is implicit in their decision to provide liquidity. But I don't think that argument 
holds much water, right? I, I think that people do feel like they have been told that um, they have a reasonable um, expectation of, of trading well in these systems. And the reality is that any of these mean reverting algorithms just doesn't perform very well. Um, and so I think whatever we do next, um, we need to make sure that the people that are making um, orders, right? People that are providing that, that base liquidity, wherever that bid ask um, you know, spread is coming from, um, that it is aligned with their personal uh, expectations when it comes to how markets develop and not something that developers like myself or any you know, smart contract engineer is prescribing for them to use. I think it has to be much more, uh, much more self-driven. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so obviously I had a quick um, demo with, with Nate the other day on, on Carbon. I think it's probably best to, if we can start there and then get into the kind of differences, the trade-offs, the kind of pros and cons of, of what Carbon is versus a traditional, say, AMM versus a concentrated liquidity AMM, um, just to make it a little bit more tangible for anyone who's watching, uh, anyone who's listening again on Spotify, if you can open the app and watch it in Spotify. I don't know what type of lunatic does that. You usually just go to YouTube. So it's, it is on YouTube. We will get into a demo. <laughs> so if you want to kind of see it in the flesh, um, just head over there and you'll be able to see it. So my, uh, Nate, have you, have you got the you got the, the, the demo available? I just want to kind of get into it because it's, as I say, I was kind of blown away by it the other day and I think it'd be um, super interesting to bring up and we can kind of talk for it. Sure. Yeah. Let me fire it up real quick. Let me know when you see my screen. Yeah. I got that. Got that. Sure. Okay. Great. So I think the easiest and most simplest way to describe carbon is kind of like an automated swing trading machine. So if you look at this chart right here, uh, you know, let's, let's say this is the ETH chart and you think, you know, over the course of the next couple months, um, and, and this sort of figurative numbers that you think ETH might trade between 1100 USD and 1800 USD. Well, a, a user who thinks that information might want to um, sort of range trade or swing trade um, ETH uh, instead of just sort of sitting on it so that they're buying it low and selling it high. So in this chart, the user is set a range order for whenever ETH enters uh, between 1400 and 1100 USD, they're buying it. And whenever it enters the range of 1600 to 1800, they're selling it. And doing this on repeat, anytime the uh, ETH enters the uh, buy range uh, and the sell range. And this has kind of been compared and might look familiar to uh, um, grid trading, which is kind of a um, a common and, and popular strategy in, in more centralized exchanges and to date hasn't been possible uh, in, in on-chain index environments. So let's uh, switch to the app real quick and this kind of the basic app and let's try to replicate that strategy that we just discussed. Now in Carbon we refer to these as uh, strategies. And let's say we want to do it with our ETH USD pair. You can do this with any ERC20 token. Um, let's start with ETH and USDC. And then here we can uh, think about the different types of strategy types we might want to create. So there's two types. One are reoccurring, 
that consist of two orders. In this case, it could be limit orders. So they buy ETH specifically at 1400 and sell it at 1800 or range orders where you could buy it between 1100 and 1400 and sell it between, let's say, 1600 and 1800. Uh, or you could do a limit and a range. And these mm. will stay live for as long as you want to stay live until you pause the strategy uh, or, or uh, close it. Then there's disposable strategies, which are for one-time use. And this is just to say, I want to you know, buy ETH specifically at 1500 and have the order um, you know, automatically close for me once the liquidity is used. Or I can do that in a range with a, a buy range or a sell range. And these are just effectively similar to uh, limit orders uh, or range orders. And again, these are fully on chain. They don't require any third party oracle or uh, keeper or any third party infrastructure to withdraw the liquidity um, you know, when, when the order has run out. Um, they, they're sort of you know, self-executing. So let's, uh, let's create that, that range strategy that we discussed, um, ETH USDC, uh, automated linked orders, um, and let's create that reoccurring strategy here. So it's going to fire up a chart of uh, ETH USDC if my internet will uh, kick in. But as that's loaded, let's, um, let's, let's talk about, let's you know, set those ranges that we wanted to set. So um, I think we said we wanted it uh, to buy ETH between 1100 and 1400. And there's that range. Now, ETH is you know, trading. Uh, significantly higher than that initial example. So I think it would probably make more sense, you know, given its current uh, price. Let's say we want to buy it, you know, possibly when it dips from 1900 to 2000. That, that feels better. Uh, and then I want to fund that with USDC. Um, so let's say I want to put in 1000 USDC. And then I want to set that sell range. And I think a reasonable sell range uh, in this environment, let's say let's say eleven thousand. Um, and so you know those those two ranges are set, and then I can decide whether uh, if I want to fund this order. So in carbon strategies, you can fund uh, both orders, or you can only fund uh, one order if you'd like. In case I don't have too much ETH here, as you can see, I seem to have quite a bit of USDC. So I'm just going to fund the USDC side. This sort of starts to look a lot like single-sided uh, provisioning. And you know, as ETH enters a buy range, uh, it'll use the USDC. The USDC will convert into ETH. And then as it's, it enters the sell range, ETH will be converted back into USDC. And this will, again, continue... Uh, for as long as I want the strategy to run, and it'll be buying low and selling high once I enter my ranges. So there you go. Uh, created a strategy. Um, here's where all my strategies live. Uh, I can then use that's a, a former strategy. That's one of the one that I just created, um, and I can uh, manage the strategy. So I can decide, you know, whether I want to close it, um, whether I want to edit prices. So this would be editing my ranges. And this is particularly interesting because if I want to edit these ranges, you know, if you think about carbon similar to, let's say, Uni V3, where um, 
you, you might want to try to replicate some of these strategies and we can discuss all the constraints and, and reasons that you can't do that currently in UDB3. But one, something that's particularly interesting is if I want to edit these ranges, well, in UDB3, you have to withdraw your liquidity and then re-add it to, to the range that you want to choose. Now, with carbon, it's way more simpler than that. You don't have to uh, withdraw or re-add your liquidity. You simply have to update the parameters in your strategies contract. And so here, let's say I just, you might rather go from 1700 to 1800 and let's the salary the same. And so that's editing. Um, your strategy, you can withdraw funds, and then if you just wanted to stop trading, um, you can you can pause it. Now um, you can sort of think of um, strategies somewhat similar to let's say liquidity provision or being an LP. So you're making liquidity and you're making it available for uh, our traders to trade against it. So those trades can be submitted directly through Carbon's interface here or they can you know, happen through DEX aggregators, or it can be arbitragers that um, execute your orders once they come into, once the market price come in, comes into range. So, we lost here are, <laughs> um, Here's the order book and the depth chart representing those. And then if I want to trade against those strategies, uh, I can do so here. And let's just sort of enter um, a nominal amount. Um, and what's very interesting is uh, I can actually choose, now here I'm only showing one strategy, but typically, you know, there'll be you know, more strategies that are in this range, but I can sort of choose exactly who I want to trade against. Um, so let's say there's, you know, multiple orders represented in this routing table, I can just sort of select which orders I'm going to want to trade against. And again, these will be traded against the strategies that are allowed in the book. Um, these are the pairs that are shown that, that have live strategies currently. Um, hopefully once this launches, there'll be you know, many, many different types of pairs. Um, and that is the real high level of, of how this works. Um, mm. Any specific questions or, or things to uh, dive in? Yeah. What first, Henry? The audio is recording locally, so it, it should be fine. If we're hearing it as a robot, there it just uploads after, so it'll be fine. But you can cut this section out. <laughs> um, so, a question on the range orders. Yes. Let's say let's say we what did, what did we use? We used um, twelve hundred and eleven hundred. If I've got like a thousand dollar range order set there, am I buying less? at the 1200 level than I am at the 1100 level? Does it kind of ladder it down or is it kind of linear how much I'm buying at each side of the curve or in between the curve? Like what, what's what's the dynamic there? Yeah, so yeah. terrific question. Yeah. Nate, do you mind if I take this one? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so it's uh, because we're still basing everything off of the um, you know, the, 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 the hyperbola, right? The, uh, the, the familiar bonding curve that we're all used to, you know, that beautiful, sorry. Sorry, someone just tried to call me. Um, okay. <laughs> um, we're still using 
um, a very specific implementation of concentrated liquidity. So this is our own implementation, but it's mm -hmm. still referring to the same geometry, right? That we're all used to. So if you take that um, that beautiful, you know, um, hyperbolic curve that we're we're used to seeing from like Uniswap v2 and all of its, um, you know, all of its various clones, um, what what you do in order to create a concentrated liquidity plot is you essentially sort of stretch that that curve out such that the the curve now dips below and to the left of um, of the origin. Um, and that specific curve has certain geometric properties. One of those properties is that whenever you are moving between two different points, um, if you wanted to draw a line between those points, what you will find is that it has the, the gradient of descent is the, uh, the geometric mean of the two gradients <laughs> at either point. Now, I know that's super technical, but what it means is that you're always getting a, a type of logarithmic average, right? So the average that most people are used to is the, you know, if I'm going to take the average of two numbers, I'll just add them together and divide it by two, right? That's called the arithmetic mean. On a hyperbola, um, everything is logarithmic. And so in order to get the average there, you need to multiply them and take the square root. It's still an average. It's just a different kind of average. Um, and so if you are getting, um, let, let's say that you would take um, a range between, um, I don't know, let's say, I'm trying to think of something that's got an easy square root. Um, let's see, if you take something between like two and $8, for example, and that, and that range completely fills up, the average price that you will get is exactly $4 because two times eight is 16, the square root of 16 is four. Um, whereas if you were doing a, a linear or arithmetic average, you would expect the you know halfway point between um, two and eight to be you know somewhere around uh, you know six or something like that. So in general, the uh, these two things they get closer and closer together, right? The difference between the arithmetic and the geometric average get closer and closer together. The more tight your range becomes, right? Um, so as long as you're not you know spreading your liquidity out over orders of magnitude. Um, generally, the approximation that you're going to get the exact, you know, arithmetic uh, average or the, the familiar average is is pretty close. Nice. No, that's great. Um, and with, we mentioned we can have the single-sided limit order and range in there. What's the kind of, is there anything in kind of behind-the-scenes testing that you guys have seen where there's, like, specific bespoke strategies that you guys are coming up with? Is there any kind of, are you setting a limit order right at the bottom of that range? Are you kind of, can you ladder it slightly above with less liquidity and then kind of ladder it down? Like what, what's, what, how are you guys kind of looking at that just in kind of preliminary testing? Yeah. I mean, I can show you, um, I've got a, my simulator loaded up right now, actually, if uh, we can have a, a bit of a play around with it. Um, so Grant, what's your, uh, you know, what's your view is, are, are you an ETH maxi or a Bitcoin maxi? If you had to choose a cash um, asset, which one do you value against the other? Oh, I, you know what? I don't, I don't, you don't have, you don't I, have I do, to do I do to like to audience. piss the bankless, I do like to piss the bankless guys <laughs> off, but I am, I, I am an ETH maxi at heart. <laughs> Great. All right. Well then we'll choose ETH as our cash asset, which means Bitcoin is our risk. Um, and let's just try and keep this um, pretty pretty simple. Uh, let's just simulate the last year. Um, it's actually been a, a pretty uh, a pretty good chart um, for analysis purposes. 
not financial advice. Um, we'll do the daily. Okay, so it's just going to grab that data from the API. It's going to quickly assemble a, uh, a candlestick chart for us. And then we're going to be able to uh, choose our liquidity bands on it. Um, so generally on, on Uniswap v3, your uh, ambition, right, is to keep your liquidity in range for like as long as possible. Because as long as you're getting those, that, that trade volume, um, you're collecting fees for, for your position. Um, so in, in your mind, uh, like where do you think would be a good, uh, a good Uniswap v3 range to concentrate your liquidity on? So can we go from, you see where it kind of, on the 27th of the second, where that, that kind of high is there. So like on the second. Yeah, absolutely. And then we can so probably so take it to just the bottom of that candlestick to on the 15th or the 9th, maybe. Or if we're yeah. going to go with so the wick, they, whatever, you, whatever you prefer, the, candlestick or wick to wick, whatever's best. Uh, oh, yeah. So did you want to go from the candlestick body? That's actually a really informed decision, by the way, because a lot of these wicks, like there's not a lot of volume there. Um, so if you wanted to do if you wanted to do the bodies, we could do something like that, um, yeah, or we could go slightly higher. You happy with that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Okay, and then for carbon, um, you know, we can play around with these settings as well. Um, so like, you know, each one of these sliders will move the, um, you know, will remove, will move those specific concentrated liquidity ranges. But here, the um, the blue range represents where we're buying. And the mm -hmm. orange range represents where we're selling. So which is very different to Uniswap, where you're buying and selling all the time, all the way through this. On carbon, you're buying and you're selling is are discrete quantities. Um, so I'm going to keep the, the actual distribution the same. I actually think that's going to work out pretty well. Um, so let's go ahead and use that. Um, there are some other settings here for, for carbon that's sort of um, you know for advanced users. Uh, we can also uh, choose our portfolio composition. Um, so oh, nice. if we're starting somewhere, somewhere around here, like, let's just do like 50, 50, I think, like, mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's where Uniswap is, is likely to, uh, to be starting at. Let's have a look. Um, actually Uniswap's going to be starting. It looks like completely in, uh, the risk asset. So we'll do the same thing on carbon. There we go. Okay. And we'll choose 30 basis points. Yep. Okay, um, now the, the simulator will also, uh, it's got a, an animation package associated with it. So you can get these very detailed, um, you know, uh, visualizations for, for how the, um, the simulation was run. I'm gonna skip that right now, but I'll show you the, the animations in just a minute. Um, but what we are gonna do is save these, um, these summary plots. Um, and so what it's currently doing um, is uh, taking all of that price data and it's, literally simulating what the market is doing with each one of those positions. Um, and so we get a, um, you know, we can, we get a log and I'll show you that in a minute. Um, but we also get these, you know, these charts. And what these charts are showing you is how the liquidity changes with the price. So for example, on carbon, you can see here, we started 100% risk, which would be the, mm -hmm. the same as um, our Uniswap V3. And so over here, nothing's really happening, right? As the price moved up, protocol isn't doing anything. But then as the price moved into this risk band, you can see now that this, this red color is kind of receding as the price moves through it, right? Which is exactly how most people expect an AMM to work. But what's different about carbon is that rather than the liquidity, um, the cash liquidity appearing immediately behind it, it's appearing in this other range, right? The buy range that we had previously set. 
And so this means it's kind of holding onto its assets until the opportune times that you have nominated as a user. Mm -hmm. um, and then as the price dips back down, you can see that it's eating into some of our cash here and some of the, the risk is coming back and so forth. And so as the price bounces around our strategy, um, we can uh, monitor how our portfolio versus HODL position is improving. This yellow line is the HODL position, right? This is uh, basically, uh, it should be a mirror image of the Bitcoin price because we started 100% in Bitcoin in this case. Um, and the blue line, which is kind of um, deviating just slightly in, um, in some of these situations, that is our, um, our portfolio on carbon in this particular case. So every time the blue line is above the yellow line, you're in profit, right? And every time the blue line is below the yellow line, you're in loss. And that's what we generally refer to as impermanent loss, right? This is the, uh, you know, the difference between your market making portfolio and the portfolio that you would have had had you chose to do, do nothing at all. And so you can see at the end of this process, um, the difference between the yellow and the blue line is actually pretty good, right? And this mm. is, remember, this is compared to just hodling Bitcoin this whole time. So the, uh, we can have a look at the log to get an exact number, but just eyeballing it right now, it looks like the HODL value is somewhere around 1100 and the, um, the portfolio position on carbon is closer to 1500. So this looks to be a, about a 50% a 50 improvement. Uh, we can have a look at Uniswap, we can have a look at Uniswap V2 um, and you can see uh, it's a very, very different protocol, right? The, the liquidity first is distributed infinitely far, right? There is no point where it runs out of liquidity, whereas on carbon, it runs out of liquidity all the time. Um, the yellow line, again, is the HODL, um, and the blue line is like immediately behind it. And you can kind of see here just how risk off a constant product protocol really is. So during yeah. this like massive rally on Bitcoin, the constant product portfolio barely noticed, right? But at the same time, at the end of this, you know, these lines are pretty close together. The, the profits <laughs> that you're getting on constant product are, are, are pretty minimal. Um, and then for Uniswap B3, it's similar to Uniswap V2 in the sense that the uh, the cash liquidity is always being refilled immediately behind the, the risk liquidity as the price moves around. Um, but you can see already, right, that this blue line here um, looks to be, at least to my eyes, about 1250, maybe 1300. So about mm -hmm. maybe a 20% increase. So let's check the log um, and get an exact number there. So uh, this is our... Uh, that that yeah uh, that uni v3 chart shows why people were so reliant on emissions <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for their rented right, liquidity right. jesus christ <laughs> exactly um okay yeah okay so uh uniswap v3 at the end of that simulation plus 16 percent. not too bad right i mean compared to hodling yeah. bitcoin plus 16 percent is is pretty good uh uniswap v2 was plus one percent Again, like no one's going to complain. If you're a Bitcoin hodler, you have ended up with 1% extra Bitcoin. Um, but uh, on carbon, that was a, uh, a plus 36%. Um, and actually, I think this was, let me see. Yeah, BTC. Um, I've got a couple of these uh, simulations done. So we might have actually read from another one, but let me just check this one. Um, so and, similar situation. And, the, and the, just, to, just, to, just to clarify, on, on the difference between the... Like if we're using UniV3 as the example, as the closest kind of, I suppose the the one the other that kind of outperformed, with the kind of upper and lower bound of the range, where what would the kind of gap on carbon be between your 
your both range orders? Would there be, is there any way to kind of specifically determine the gap between the, to the, uh, the buy range and the sell range is how, how, yeah, how absolutely. does like, one, one go about that? So remember, um, remember when we, when we started the simulation, so let, let's just, uh, let's just clear this and, and start a new one quickly so that we can play around with it a little bit more. Um, cause remember we, when we chose the Uniswap B3 range, we said, we want to do like as fair a comparison for carbon. So we're not going to move, you know, the, um, the, the ranges around too much because it's very easy to be accused of, um, of biasing the simulation, which is something that I'm very conscious of, which is why I'm open sourcing. Uh, the simulator for um, for anyone who wants to use it. Um, but once you've kind of got it, you immediately want to start playing with it, right? And and uh, changing, um, you know, how how you might create a strategy and what you might do with it. So let's go back to that same pair. And rather than just leave the Uniswap range uh, the same for carbon, uh, let's play around with it a little bit. So I think I flipped it around this time. It's now ETH per um, per BTC, and I'm now I think doing a slightly different timescale. Um, so let's do like for example, let's do like this one down here. I think that this would have been a, a pretty that would have been a, a really excellent Uniswap V3 position actually. Yeah. Um, okay. Now for carbon. Um, what we can do is move these sliders around, right? So just like what Nate was showing you when uh, you're, you're choosing your strategies on the front end, uh, you can choose, for example, to, to like really separate, um, you know, really separate these, these ranges around. So one of the things that you might want to do is to set like a, a very, very low, um, a very, very low, very tightly concentrated buy. Um, and then for your sell, uh, maybe you want to do something that's a little bit more ambitious, right? Like maybe uh, you don't know how far this thing is going to rebound. So you decide to sort of put your liquidity up like this or something like that. There's all kinds of uh, different things that we can do. But the point that I'm trying to show you is that these bands, right? They are these bands here, yeah. right? It's the same, the same thing. So if you wanted to set your, uh, you know, your, your cell arbitrarily high, um, of course, you can do that. Um, you can also change like where it starts. So you can see here the um, the, the liquidity that's kind of, you know, the, the loading bar, if you can think of it that, that way, um, of the liquidity level. Um, like here, it's only partially filled because some, um, some of the cash is kind of already being converted over here. You're, on Carbon, you can actually start halfway through your range if you wanted to. So for example, we can set our, uh, our bid price um, slightly lower and kind of start in the middle of that range so that we kind of backload um, all of our liquidity so that we buy at the lowest possible price. And then if it happens to come back, we can kind of catch it um, as it's like retesting, for example. Nice. And I would say um, that the, the kind of width of your range sort of reflects your confidence in a specific price. So if you think ETH is going to for certain hit 2300, then you probably want to just do a limit order. So as, as tight a range as possible on 2300. But if you're kind of unsure, you think it might be between, let's say 2100 and 2300, then you would set a range you know, at, those, at those prices. And the sort of wider or larger the width um, reflects, you know, less and less confidence around a specific price being hit. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
So you can see here, right? This is uh, that same, and you know, I like this one because you know a lot of people sort of talk to me about, you know, what what can you do during like a down only market, right? Or what do you do when things are going up, right? And these are the things that, that um, AMMs kind of typically um, uh, struggle with. And so we could have simulated like doing something up here and letting the price move further down or whatever. Um, but you can see here that the um, you know as the price came down into our cash range. Um, you know, we did see a small capitulation in our portfolio value. So this is our impermanent loss that as the uh, price started to move back, it held onto its assets long enough in order to start clearing um, a profit. And so here we're looking at the difference between 1,600 on Uniswap V2. Again, not too bad. Um, Uniswap V2 actually seems to have done uh, quite well here. Um, and on uh, Uniswap V3, right, you can see sort of where um, concentrated liquidity can sometimes struggle. So here, um, every time we go above this yellow line, that's our that's our profits. And so the really disciplined liquidity providers on Uniswap V3, they know this really well. And so they know that during the, the drawdown, that's fine, because as long as it stays in range long enough, you can very, very easily clear back into profits. And so what they will be doing is like removing their liquidity every time it goes like back above this, this range. Um, whereas on Carbon, you can, you, you're, given a completely different financial vehicle, right? Um, where you, you know, because you're already setting your ranges at certain levels um, and you can adjust them as easily as, as Nate showed via the UI without having to withdraw and mint new NFTs and, and so on, um, you can manage these positions a little bit more efficiently. Um, but yeah, you can see even in, in this case, and I would consider this one to be a, a particularly naive um, example. We didn't spend much, much time adjusting this, um, but yeah, the, um, the difference here, if we go to the log, um, for Uniswap V3, uh, that made 1.9%, uh, Uniswap V2 made negative 16%, um, and carbon was plus 60%. So there really is like worlds of difference between how these things operate. Now there are some, like I, I grain of salt here, um, the simulator is assuming things like perfectly efficient arbitrage, right? Like I need to um, afford the simulator, the ability to sort of ignore uh, things like liquidity levels. Um, so on, on pairs like wrapped Bitcoin and Ethereum and versus the stables, these assumptions are generally very, very good. Um, but if you're trading some like obscure meme token or something, um, <laughs> the, the price data that you get from the API doesn't always agree with like the market <laughs> appetite to take you at that price. So, you know, I just, just, you know, it, it's a you know, laboratory conditions. Uh, it's a, uh, you've got to take everything, um, you know, uh, everything carefully and, and, and in a considered way. But what I, I do want to show you um, is what the animations look like. So here are some that I've prepared, um, you know, earlier, and they take a little while to, to load. Um, but this is a just like a, a very quick three second. Um, actually, nice. you know what? I've got a better one. Let me let me pull this up. So this is, um, you know, sort of an education resource that I'm creating. So because I want to teach people about, you know, DeFi in general, not just about carbon. Um, and so the these animations are intended to provide. Um, a very good like heuristic for for how these different protocols actually operate. Um, and so the first animation, the one that you're looking at here, um, I'm actually visualizing Uniswap V2 as a literal order book, right? This is a depth chart. Um, and you can see how much liquidity there is at a, a certain distance from the, the, um, the, the median price. 
And we're also looking at um, how the fee earnings are accumulating, right? So as the simulation progresses, you can actually keep track of exactly what the fee balance is um, for a Uniswap V2 position based on you know, the, the, the assumptions made in the simulator. And you can see your, um, your portfolio sort of oscillate with the price. And you know, this is no mistake, right? I've chosen a, 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 an exponential sign curve here. Um, and you can see that the, um, the period or the, the frequency on the performance versus HODL chart is exactly twice that of the, um, the price oscillation on the chart because in constant products and all AMMs, it doesn't matter if the price goes up or down, you lose money, right? The whole idea is to, uh, for the price to go nowhere. Um, I, also, uh, I also animate it as um, the invariant curve. So if you're not used to looking at a, a depth chart, which people in traditional finance are very used to looking at depth charts, um, if you've been around DeFi for a little while, you're probably more used to bonding curves. And so the animation will give you the bonding curve as well. Um, and it colors it based on the distribution of the liquidity. And so these are two totally legitimate ways of, of thinking about um, how liquidity is distributed on, on a DEX and how the market interacts with it. Um, it also, of course, gives you the, um, you know, the, the performance chart um, at the end. For Uniswap V3, we do the same thing. Um, and you know, one of the things to note about it is that occasionally the depth goes to zero, right? Because you're running out of, um, out of cash or you're running out of risk. Um, we also get the same um, invariant equation. So if you wanted to get a, a much better grip of exactly how um, Uniswap's invariant function works, um, this is it you know, animated and graphed for you so that you can do that. And then of course, um, last but not least, um, on Carbon, we also do the same animation, but trying to really highlight what makes Carbon different from these other two models. And the, the thing that I, th I think really stands out is that as the price is moving through one of these regions, the, uh, the price of the other asset, right? The thing that we're trying to sell, it doesn't come down to meet it. It's always contained within the, uh, the range that the user has chosen. Um, and of course, you know, this is for demonstrations purposes. So you can see that the, um, you know, the, the performance versus HODL thing is, is, you know, uh, is always going to be very good here. Um, but I'm just going to pause it here for a second because I didn't realize this the first time I was doing this research, but this particular strategy, so sort of buying sort of halfway down during the, 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 um, the drawdown and sort of selling halfway up here, the portfolio versus HODL um, at this point, right, right, right there was here, which is mm -hmm. basically break even versus HODL, which means wow. that this strategy is the same as selling the exact top, Shit. right? So Which is just, an interesting capture, realization. Capturing the meat of the move there. Exactly, that's, right? That's buying, buying halfway on the way down and selling halfway on the way up, you actually get the same overall portfolio valuation as if you had sold the exact top versus HODL. And that is like, no one gets that, right? The exact top are like the, the, the the liquidity value there, like the, the actual volumes that get traded at the, you know, the very top of a, a price chart, they're very, very thin. Um, and I've, I have a feeling that this is something that day traders have been like telling us on YouTube for like decades, you know, that it's not about calling the bottom and the top, but it's about having this strategy, this striated approach to markets so that you can get in and out of your positions in a really informed way. And it turns out that if you are disciplined in it, you can have your portfolio perform just as well as if you had timed the exact top. 
And here is, you know, just falling out of the carbon simulation, a, a really elegant proof of that. Um, and then, of course, we've also got the, uh, the uh, carbon invariant. Um, now, this is, you know, just for the DeFi nerds, right? For the people that are really going to get into um, exactly what the, the, the bonding curves look like on carbon, because they are very different from, um, from how, uh, like, they have the same shape as, uh, as Uniswap's curves. But the way that they're parameterized is like worlds apart. And we spent a very long time, um, you know, preparing our white paper and our invention disclosure to, to make this clear for anyone who's studying the space. Um, but I still think seeing it animated is just one of the, the best ways that you can kind of get acquainted with it. Um, is this available for again, people yeah, to, to is this available for people to get a hold of now? Or are you gonna do these seminars or yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've, uh, like I said, like I'm not protecting this code. Um, I, I'm still in the process of kind of documenting it, but people who are interested, um, uh, as community members reach out to me and ask me for it, I literally just send it to them and they can use yeah. it as it. So it works perfectly well as long as you've got an IDE. Um, but like not everyone is, you know, going to spend the time, uh, you know, setting up a, a Python environment on their machine in order to run it. And so one of the things that I've, uh, I'm tasking the, the research team with doing is to get it running just out of the browser. Um, and so mm -hmm. then anyone who wants to backtest a strategy can just do it directly that way. Um, but for the, yeah, for the people that are like maybe researching DEXs because they, they're starting their own DEX project or uh, maybe you're an analyst and you are you know, evaluating the, the DEX space in general or something, um, for those guys, they certainly do have the programming expertise to make something like this work. Um, and for them, I just, just email it to them and they can, they can get started straight out of the gate with it. Nice. That's a, there's a lot to, I said when we had a lot, it's a lot to unpack. I know. I'm... <laughs> I, but I think, I think it's just one of those. I think it's one of those things, and I've seen it with a couple of other projects quite recently. It's a lot to unpack, but so was like, I don't know, the early, the, the early, the first iteration of Bancode. You know, like as, as soon as you start using it, I think, and you start yeah. kind of trying it out and using it, I think a lot of DeFi is quite intangible um, until you actually get your hands dirty and go and figure it out. And there's like we're kind of blessed with kind of low, low cost high throughput, kind of quick, high transaction speeds and things like that now where people can go and try this shit out without kind of having to spend an absolute fortune and stuff like that. So it's, um, I, I can't personally wait to get out, that, my hands on it. <laughs> so it's, uh, I think that like one of the things I want to remind everyone, right. Is that, um, in a way, like we've gone to all of this effort so that you don't have to learn it if you don't want to, right. If you understand that, that most basic premise that I want to buy something at as cheap a price as possible and sell it as, uh, you know, at as great a price as possible. That's it, right? You don't need to understand what these simulations are doing. You don't need to understand the bonding curves if you don't want to. But if you, if you do want that, right, I want to personally empower you to understand it. I, I do think that people should, um, should understand what they're doing. Um, but if you're just a trader and you understand that buying something cheap and selling it at a premium is how you make money in markets, then carbon is developed with you in mind, right? You don't need to get into the weeds of this to use the product. The product is literally as easy as what we saw on the simulator, right? Choose your range, buy at this price, sell at this price, that's it. 
and um, it's only for the for the, the DeFi nerds that a lot of this extra material was produced. Was there anything? Was there any kind of nuggets of kind of amazement that you found when you were building that? Other than like, I think I think the stats on hodl versus carbon, yeah, versus uni versus uh, V three. Was there any? Was there anything else that kind of caught you off guard or blown a hypothesis out of the water was- or anything like that? There were so many things that caught me off guard. Like one of the things that um, that I've always been told is that like the the HODL portfolio is generally the one to be right. This is the one that um, that that wins most of the time. It's not really true. Um, the <laughs> when you having when you're having a look at like how day traders operate, um, you know they don't they tend to not hold things for very long, right? They they have a, a certain um, range trading strategy that they that they will set up either and run it over the course of a day, hence the name day trader, um, or over the course of a, a week or a month or something. Um, and then they get out of it and then they will like wash and, and recycle, right. And, um, you know, start one of these things back up, uh, on another pair that they think is, is going to be reliable. Um, that was uh, a revelation to me because I, I, I guess I was kind of steeped in the culture of um, 2019 and 2020 yeah. when um, everyone's looking at these, you know, these HODL returns um, with like a 10,000 X increase in the Bitcoin price. Um, but realistically, like it's, it, I think everyone knows that those kinds of returns on, on HODL are, are not really sustainable. Um, and so you have to kind of get clever in, um, in, how, you, um, in how you approach markets and that there are certainly lots of profits to be had. Um, but you know, hold, simply holding on to the thing is is probably not the the most informed strategy anymore. There are better ways, more informed ways of, of going about it. Um, of course, that means that the, that it, there is an element of risk. Um, but I would say that there's an element of risk to to hodling at the same time. There's, so there was that component, um, and then the other component was just how um, just how much better you can do, right? Like I was expecting the first time I was running these kinds of things to be like. Okay, if we can beat Uniswap by like five percent, I'll be happy. Like I can market that. You know, if I can beat it by four percent or something, I'll be happy. But we're like consistently beating it by like fifty percent, thirty percent. You know what I mean? Like even really naive, um, you know, strategies were were outperforming the the status quo by a fairly wide margin. And the reason is like it's actually perfectly clear. It's just that rather than having to buy and sell throughout that whole range. Um, you know, concentrating the the opportunities to to one side or the other asymmetrically is you know it, it really is just a better way to to trade a market, and uh, I think that the uh, the 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 AMM naysayers have been telling us this for like years, and uh, I think it took me a little while to um, like I always understood what they meant right, and I had the numbers and I had the analysis and I got it. But like now it's like in my bones, right? Having built carbon and, and really run this thing. It's like now it's a part of me. I really, um, I really understand it now in a, in a very visceral way. I, I, you see in these simulations when you close your eyes at night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true, actually. I think the, the, the mind-blowing part for, for me about this and the sort of aha moment was just how much this kind of changes the... Uh, you know, incentive model and mechanics of traditional LP. If you think of 
you know, what are you trying to do when you LP in an AMM? Well, you're you wanting to collect fees and you're hoping that the two assets do not diverge in value too much, in which case your impermanent loss would exceed your fees. Now in carbon, fees and impermanent loss are actually completely irrelevant. Uh, the LPs, or let's say, you know, we're calling the makers, the creators of these strategies, are just interested in executing trades in specific, you know, uh, price ranges. And so, you know, fees are completely irrelevant and IL is completely irrelevant. They are just wanting to buy low in this range and sell high in, in the upper range. So as a result, you know, the, the tokenomics uh, implications of that are, are pretty interesting too. Uh, where suddenly, you know, 100% of the trading fees can now go to the protocol. None of them go to the LPs. Similar to if you're setting a limit order in, let's say, Coinbase, you're not expecting to collect trading fees. You're just expecting for the trade to execute at a specific price. So that that was uh, was was pretty mind blowing for me. Is is how this really could change the entire incentive model. Um, for for Alpine, also Mark, you you described this before, but how the, the traditional form of Alpine and and carbon are not necessarily at odds. They they can be very very complementary. Um, there's sort of an interesting strategy, Mark. You've mentioned a couple of times um, about sort of flanking your uh, let's say UBB yeah. position with carbon orders. Do, do you want to just kind so of like walk a, so like a like a hybrid kind of model? Not really a hybrid, but if, if you think of it this way, um, on on Uniswap v3, like Uniswap v3 can be exceptionally performant, right? I, I have run many simulations where Uniswap v3 is the one that that, that wins out because um, you know the the volatility just isn't there for the buy low sell high to to be um, to be as uh, as attractive, especially on things like um, like stable pairs, right? I think Uniswap v3 is exceptionally good for something like Dai USDC and so forth. Um, but what you're, what you might be worried about on Uniswap v3, let's, let's go with USDC and die. Something like a DPEG event, right? Which happened not that long ago. And, uh, as soon as the, the USDC the USDC price started to capitulate down, um, your, your valuation goes like completely, you know, down the drain, um, because now all of your die is gone, um, and you're left, you know, holding exclusively USDC. And now it's only worth, you know, 80 cents or something. I can't remember how far I went down. I think it was 80, 85 or 88 cents. Or something. Um, and that's terrible. But on carbon, um, so it, let's say that you did have that, um, you know, you did have that position on Uniswap. You could then kind of hedge your Uniswap gambit by saying, you know what, if it does go to, um, you know, all the way down from a dollar to 88 cents, I'm going to buy a whole bunch of USDC at like at that exact price. Like if the market is looking for liquidity as it's depegging, sure they can have it, but I'm not going to give them like the the price all the way from one dollar to eighty eight cents. I will give them from like ninety cents to eighty eight cents. Like if you're really depegging, I'm taking the risk, and so that's the price I'm offering. Yeah. And so if you've got your USDC. Uh, or your yeah USDC DAI um, strategy on on Uniswap, you can actually then go to Carbon and create like these DPEG you know hedges on either side of it. 
um, that would, you know, exclusively buy that thing as it starts to move to the other side. Now, maybe the, the stablecoin analogy isn't, isn't the best, um, but certainly for things like, um, like ETH wrapped Bitcoin or ETH USDC, where you might get those occasional wicks out of your range where you're not earning fees on carbon, you don't care because you're not there for the fees, you're there for the execution. And so if it wicks up out of your range and then comes back into range, at least then you've got like, you've, you've managed to process that very profitable trade because the price went up and then back, but you got to keep the profit now. Whereas when the price goes up and back in Uniswap V3, it's like, yeah, you're getting fees again, but you've lost all of that um, value that you, um, that you had from processing the trade at that, that other point. So I think, you know, the, some of the frustrations that I've heard uh, vocalized were articulated exactly that way, right? They, they're sick of being, um, you know, toxic flow on good days. And then, um, you know, eff effectively the market refunder um, when things capitulate. Um, That's a great way to put it. And on carbon, yeah, right. And on carbon, um, you know, all sales are final. If someone took you at a certain price, that's it. You know, they have to, if they want to sell it back to you, they have to sell, at, sell it back to you at the other rate that you've chosen. And so if you do want to sort of um, profit from the moves out of your concentrated liquidity range on Uniswap V3, you can literally flank it um, by having a similar, um, you know, a, an equal and opposite strategy running on carbon at the same time. It's like maybe a little bit more concentrated and doesn't need as much capital in it. And so that way, like if things are moving out of your Uniswap range, you're actually are still making profits on this other protocol. Um, and so I don't see them as being competing resources, right? Uniswap v3 and Uniswap v2 and most AMMs, they are a short gamma strategy, right? Your, your bet is I hope the price doesn't move very far and I hope that I get a lot of trading volume. That's it. Carbon is not that. Right. It is. I hope the price goes down to this level and then up to this level, or I hope that the price goes up to this level and then down to this level. It doesn't really matter, but it's a completely different bet. Right. The uh, the the financial instrument that they represent are different and you can use them together to create a much more balanced approach to to the markets. So if the markets really are just kind of jittering sideways, Uniswap's your man. Right. It's the best possible protocol for that kind of fuzzy go nowhere price action, um, especially if it's got a lot of volume. Whereas with carbon, that violent you know, moves to, to one side or having a directional position in, in how the markets are moving, that's much better suited to that type of, of trading strategy. And there's nothing that says that you need to be in one of these camps at once, right? You can be in both of these camps all the time and have a, you know, a strategy on, on Uniswap V3 that is doing the short gamma thing. But at the same time, be like, well, but maybe it's not going to do that you know, forever. And I want to have a, a, a position on carbon that kind of takes advantage of it when my position on Uniswap is starting to fail. Um, so taking a balanced approach to, um, you know, to, to making markets on, on DeFi, I think is a, a very uh, intelligent and well-informed thing to do. Well, I'm even thinking further, further afield. Like there's so many projects that we've spoke to recently that are coming onto the fore. It seems like a lot of projects are come, trying to lead with a stablecoin now, and a lot of them are getting priced out. Particularly trying to play the curve game, like it's just completely priced out. Um, a lot of emissions spent on trying to bribe curve, curve and CVX photos and frax photos and things like that. So things like this where it allows them to actually bootstrap their own stablecoin aside from the aside from the perk either. Um, above or below, I think it's um, 
they need to be kind of looking at that. I know the tapioca guys, they just said, look, we can't afford to just be wasting emissions left, right and centre with Curve. We're going to go with Uniswap through Arrakis and things like that. But, um, you know, it's, right. it just seems like a, a great kind of additional option to have, as you say, as a, as a kind of a complement to that if they're looking for like, these kind of um, pegs. Yeah, I'd like to discuss it with them. Yeah, yeah, I'd absolutely. Like to discuss with them, honestly. I've had a couple of... Um, not, not necessarily stablecoin projects. Like I haven't met anyone yet that like wants to do like a USD pegged asset, but I've had like two or three other conversations with people that have like gold pegged or ETH pegged assets um, and that they want, like they, they realize immediately that because of the, uh, the asymmetry on carbon, you can kind of um, create more of a, a price magnet right back to some range because the, it doesn't constantly slip. You know, um, one of the things that Carbon does, for example, that no other concentrated liquidity protocol except M-Stable does, um, is uh, infinite concentration. So if you wanted to, we can concentrate the, the curve down to just a straight line um, and execute all of the liquidity at a single price. Um, whereas I think on Uniswap V3, you're limited to one basis point, which is still like pretty much a straight line, but it's still not exactly a straight line. And uh, when you're talking about pegging assets, Sometimes the difference between one basis point and zero mm-hmm. is is important. Um, maybe not right now, but certainly in the coming years, I expect it to be. So yeah, there is that use case, and uh, I would be very interested to to discuss it with them. Yeah, I'll put you in touch after this. Um, what about how does it look like for automation? If people are gonna, is it is it something that can be achieved? Like I'm just thinking, if someone's coming and want to come in, they don't have to want to manually position. Um, that ranges like is, is there any kind of thoughts around that is there additional people building around that is is there anyone on the market yeah. that could build around that like is of course yeah like so um i'm a big fan of arrakis already um and i you know i have met them in East denver and we've had conversations with them on twitter spaces and things previously i do expect that um there will be these kinds of third-party integrations where there will be something like a vault manager, right? Similar to Enzyme or something like that. Similar to the yield aggregators on top of Uniswap V3 um, that will use carbon for its intrinsic use case, um, but kind of crowdsource the capital that goes into those positions. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I, I would be, um, I'm always interested to, to talk with those integrators and you know, they will do things like charge a performance fee to their users and so on, and that's fine. Um, but I don't think it's something that I want to like I would rather provide the rails. Like I'm much more of like, yeah. um, you know, provide the infrastructure. And if people want to build products on top of it, I'm uh, of course I'm going to support them. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that needs to fall under our purview. I consider those kinds of um, th- those types of products to be um, like specialist products. You know, like to to build the infrastructure and then build that kind of product on top of it at the same time. That's a lot to manage. I would rather um, just keep the the engine running. And, yeah, um, and and support the other teams that want to use it for that end. All right, awesome. Um, so when when can we have a go? <laughs> when, when can everyone listen and try it out? Very very soon. So the um, we uh, we put the proposals on governance um, a couple of days ago. I think we should be finished in like twenty four hours, and we're ready to go as soon as the basically as soon as the we've got the DAO approvals. We will, um, you know, we'll get all of our, our ducks in a row and, and you know, hit the, 
the enter key and uh, <laughs> and uh, load it up. Yeah, like it's it's it, it really is right here. Um, where uh, you know I wouldn't have put the proposals up if I didn't think that we weren't ready um, to deliver after the the DAO made a decision. So days at this point, days away. All right, perfect. So um, I think I'd be a bad interviewer not to ask, um, how has the past 12 months been internally at, with you guys at Bancor and what's the kind of, how does carbon play into like the next evolution yeah. of, of Bancor and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been horrific. Um, so obviously <laughs> the, the, the meltdown in, in June of last year was like, um, it was completely heartbreaking. Um, you know, it, it cost me a lot of my credibility, I think. Um, I, you know, I've, uh, I've had a lot of people make very um, convincing threats against my life. Um, you know, it's a, it was a, a really, really terrible experience. Uh, and I think that everyone on, uh, everyone that I work with had a, a fairly similar experience, right? Everyone, especially in a, in a public facing role. Um, and, you know, we've been sort of tormented um, ever since and a part of me feels like I can't complain you know like uh, I I did have a um, you know I, I was uh, a part of um, a part of the process that kind of led to that um, that thing and so you know I kind of wear my um, you know wear my punishment um, but yeah it was it was pretty awful and my only um, you know my only driving um, uh you know, motivation with carbon um, is to create something that can, um, that actually can tenably start addressing um, what I consider to be the, the protocol's obligations back to the users of, of version 2.1 and version 3. So the, the problem still stands at that, um, you know, when, uh, when the meltdown happened, uh, for, those of the, for those who are listening and, and aren't aware of the, the specifics of it, um, it turns out that something like 60% or more of um, the liquidity provision in Bancorp version 2 and Bancorp version 3 was owned by Three Arrows Capital and Celsius. Um, and so when they withdrew all of their liquidity all at once, they had also been liquidity mining the whole time. So they had a, a massive share of the, um, the BNT supply. When they were in a, a, when they were in a tight spot, um, they obviously had to liquidate um, their, uh, their position. So they withdrew. The impermanent loss protection was completely stressed by it, and at the same time, they were also dumping their, um, you know, their BNT position. So the, the whole mechanism was uh, completely destroyed, and um, and that threw a lot of the balances on um, on V two point one and V three into deficit. Now we have actually um, we've already recovered um, from a lot of that from a lot of that damage. Um, so beginning um, last month. A lot of the uh, chain link liquidity providers, um, especially in version 2.1, um, have been withdrawing all of their liquidity plus fees that have been earned in the interim. So we're like, we're, there really is, um, we really are starting to recover in a, in a very positive way. And I'm really thankful for that. There's still a long way to go. Um, but the, um, you know, the question that we have been trying to answer since that day is how do you create a protocol that is actually you know, that's actually generates value. Um, the, the, the problem I think with the, the culture surrounding DeFi summer and the, you know, the bull market that it led to was that people thought that these, um, you know, these token printing schemes and liquidity incentives had like, were just free or something, right. That you just kind of got that value for nothing. And it sounds like you had that, uh, you had a conversation 
like just recently um, with someone who is talking about that, the kind of frustrations that they have with uh, curb emissions and that kind of thing. And so it, it did affect us in a pretty big way. And I was, um, you know, I, I, I do want to say that I had vocalized my concerns about, you know, liquidity mining campaigns and things previously, but at the end of the day, whatever the DAO wants to do, I have to oblige. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, I can tell you it was a very unpopular opinion that uh, liquidity mining had to end. You know, no one wants to, uh, no one wants to listen to that. So Carbon is um, designed to be a protocol that you don't have to pay anyone to use, right? It should be its own incentive. Um, there are things that you might want to do in the markets and you can't do it anywhere except Carbon right now. Um, and for that, we charge a pretty nominal fee, right? 20 basis points on, on trades and I think uh, $1 worth of ETH on, on making positions. Um, so really nothing. Um, and the hope, um, my ambition is to make this sufficiently popular um, that we can use those funds to recover the deficits on version 2.1 and version 3 very quickly. Um, and that is what the, the the DAO has agreed to, right? The uh, there has been a um, there has been a vote already um, that 100% of the um, the revenue from carbon should be used exclusively for that purpose, and and that's what's going to happen. Nice. Well, gents, that was um, that was great. As I was saying before, we kind of jumped on. I think it's going to be a big kind of paradigm shift in the device space. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more user-friendly for those who want to be makers on the platform, those who want to kind of have a set-and-forget strategy around the desired kind of bids and asks. Um, I personally can't wait to get my hands on it. And we're recording this on, what's it, the 18th. So maybe by the time it's gone live and you guys will listen to it, you might be able to give it a whirl. But um, is there anything else you want to kind of finish off though before we kind of wrap it up? Is there any anywhere you want kind of people to be funneled to, maybe Discord or, or whatever? And what, what should they be on the lookout for? Nate, do you want to take that? Sure. There's uh, right, Carbon, Go ahead. Yeah, Carbon, uh, CarbonDefi.xyz is where you can find all our social channels. I would say the Carbon specific Telegram and our Discord are kind of the most active for that. Um, we've just released the open source contracts uh, with a $1 billion bug bounty. So, um, you know, feel free to check out the contracts. The docs are up as well. Uh, and yeah, the, once the DAO um, you know, finalizes its vote, we expect the uh, beta, you know, mainnet release to go live uh, in the coming days. And I think it'll be, you know, super exciting to see what happens? You know, we uh, have seen a lot of interest from both retail all the way up to, you know, the most sophisticated institutions saying that this is finally what they need to actually execute, you know, limit range orders and the type of strategies they've done and centralized exchanges on uh, DEXs. And then on the other end, on the retail side, we've seen people wanting to buy low, sell high, set limit orders, range orders and not being able to do that because of current on-chain liquidity mechanics. So <clears throat> super excited to see um, the a range of uses, the type of user it draws. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be a wild ride in the, in the early days of this. Awesome. Can't wait. But gents, thanks very much. I know you you get, must be getting close to crunch time now if this proposal goes through, which I'm sure it will. So thank you very much for joining me. Um, welcome back anytime. Just say the word. <laughs> and, uh, thank you so much, Brian. And um, if you want um, 
if you want, once you've kind of published and got everything live and we want to run it back to some demos, see what's happening, if this protocol is building on and around, get that done as well. So just, as I say, just let us know. I was happy to help. Uh, and for everyone else listening, if you listen on Spotify, if you want to see the demo, just go and have a look on YouTube. Um, but yeah, thanks again and uh, I'll speak to you soon.